Sarah, our sponsor Vionic is back today with their Vionic Vitals collection. These shoes are the most essential styles for everyday wear to get us ready for spring, which will be here before we know it. We've already talked about my Uptown Loafers and Willa Slip On Flat and your Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, but this collection also includes the Walk 23 Classic Sneaker. That is that unapologetic dad sneaker style that's so popular right now. And I was just thinking having all four styles would basically be like having a spring capsule wardrobe for your feet. Oh my gosh, that is actually such a genius idea, Megan. I love where you're going with this. You know, high quality shoes are such a classy way to elevate your wardrobe. And the styles in the Vionic Vitals collection really can be worn in your everyday mom life, whether you're running errands or dressing up for an occasion. Yeah, and let's talk about the comfort factor, Sarah. Vionic actually got started by revolutionizing medical orthotics. Today, they continue to use that science to make cute and comfortable shoes that can keep up with our active lifestyles. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Vionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 383 of the Mom Hour. I am Sarah Powers, here with Megan Francis. Hey, Megan. Hi, Sarah. You ready to talk about money today? Who's not ready to talk about money? We're talking about talking about money with kids today, which is a little bit different and layered with complication, as we will dive into. Um, I just want to share one of the reasons that I have shied away a little bit from this topic on the podcast. We do get requests for it all the time is that I'm not crazy about the way talking to kids about money is covered in mainstream parenting advice. I have seen and read a lot of articles. I've read a couple of books and I'm, I very much pay attention to the questions that our listeners ask. And it's not that I don't think they're important. The most common questions are, when do you start an allowance? How do you teach kids to save their money? Do you um, have a way to make kids grateful or to learn how to donate their money? And do you pay for chores? Those are kind of the hot question, hot button questions that get asked. And there's this, I have this sort of like, yeah, but reaction a lot of the times, because I think, um, it's often treated like a a list of practical life skills that we're supposed to give our kids in the same way we want them to know how to do laundry and drive a car and, uh, you know, order a pizza and all those other things. But I think there's so much emotional and like philosophical baggage that comes with conversations around money that as adults, we are profoundly ill-equipped to talk about. Maybe we, they make us feel uncomfortable or maybe we don't even know it's baggage because we just think yeah. that's the way everybody thinks about money. And so that's the messier part that I think is really interesting. And I guess I'm going into this episode, I'm admitting like some of my own hangups and my own, like, I'm not quite sure how to frame this for my kids. And that's what today's episode is about. So if you're looking for should you pay for chores or not, or what age to start an allowance, I, I promise there's so many great little tip sheets out there, but I have always found that conversation somehow lacking. Well, it's very prescriptive and like you said, oversimplified. And I think sometimes it's presented as though like if you have the right 
save spend, you know, ratio, Mm -hmm. (laughs) save spend, give ratio, or if you have a jar where they put some part of their money or whatever, that's going to solve all potential money issues, um, that they might run into, or like, just give them like, like you said, the practical skills will override the emotion. And that is not true. I actually, read a book called the psychology of money last year. It was so good. We need to link it in the show notes. I just looked up on my phone so I could tell you who the author is Morgan Housel. Um, and a guy I know who's a local, um, financial advisor who I had worked with a little bit on and off sent me a copy in the mail on like unannounced or just one day opened it up and here was this book with a little note in it. And he said he was sending it to like everybody that he was connected with because he thought it was so good. And I started reading it. And basically the premise is everybody is emotional about money. Nobody is rational about money. And if you've tricked yourself into thinking that you're 100% rational with your money all the time, like that is irrational because we all come from, we all have our own values, like our value systems that we attach to things. Um, what gives us anxiety and what doesn't give us anxiety, um, what we believe about like what money will get us and what it won't, or like whether we're risk averse or not. Like there's so many factors that go into it. Humans are emotional people. Ergo, like our relationship with money is always emotional. So you can have, you can have the same tips and tricks that you apply to all of your kids and they will all play out totally differently based on a, whatever, you know, stew, unique stew of mm-hmm. psychology or sorry, um, personality, history, baggage, earning potential, adverse and positive experiences with money, like whatever that looks like in your kid will shape just as much how that plays out for them as like the tips and tricks will themselves. It's, it's almost like as it's almost better compared to something like faith or spirituality or a greater sense of like why we're here. And and I don't mean to like, maybe that's not an appropriate equivalent, but it's certainly not as cut and dried as teaching a kid to cook or drive a car or do laundry for all the reasons that you mentioned. Um, yeah, that, that there's a much bigger soup. And I think it's our own discomfort sometimes that, makes talking to our kids about money even more complicated, just like talking to our kids about sex or politics yeah. or, you know, we, we are our own biggest hangups a lot of the time. You know, I, I also think there are families in which money is never talked about and that can be damaging. There are, there are, um, families in which money is the center of every conversation and every decision, which can be a problem. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it can be at either end of the spectrum. And I think the family of origin, I, I I don't think I really realized for a while. I mean, I was well into adulthood before I realized how your family of origin plays into how you handle this stuff or how you're you know, how you want to like deep down and maybe how you would lean. And so I'll just share a little bit about mine. So, um, I mean, I knew growing up that we didn't have a lot of money. I think my parents, I was one of those like the fortunate or unfortunate baby of the family. So one of the families that was relatively securely middle-class for everybody else, but I never really experienced that because by the time I came along, like the marriage was falling apart. (laughs) So everybody else had a very different experience. We weren't like, they weren't rich or anything like that, but it was a very typical middle-class family. Um, but then I kind of experienced the the separation and divorce. My mom was very broke. 
And my dad, I think was kind of all over the place because he had the kind of, it was like feast or famine. Um, he was always self-employed. And so it was all over the place. And the way my two parents in their two separate households talked about money was probably really, really different from the way the two of them together in one household would have. So that's yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my mom was more frank about the fact that like money was tight, but I never worried about it. She was very resourceful. Um, I never, never worried about like going hungry or not having money to pay a bill. But I also do remember thinking like, oh, there's just things that are out of reach in this house. Like I just wouldn't ask for that because it's not going to happen. Like I'll always have clothes. I'll always have like warm, clean clothes and a comfortable house and good food on the table. But like eh, things beyond that, eh, probably not. And then at my dad's house, it was much more like if things, if money was good, times were good like we're going out to eat more and stuff like that. But you know, like it was harder to kind of, um, to guess like how Mm -hmm. it was going to be like to predict it. But the overriding kind of philosophy on both sides was if anyone had a need, like the money was just given and money flowed in all directions. There were really no expectations around it. So, um, because I think my siblings and I knew there wasn't going to be an inheritance, it was never like we had to have conversations like about mom and dad and their money and what they're like. We didn't, it was none of our business what our parents were doing with their money. We had no expectations that any of it was going to flow to us anyway. And I think that that all of those things can create a situation that's very different from maybe a family. Like I've had friends where they came from families that were much more, or even my ex-husband, where it was much more like everyone knows when their parents die, what's left is going to be split up you know, three ways. And that if a loan is made, it's a loan and will be paid back. And there's a contract and like, they would, I just never had anything like that. So that can make money situations touchy when I expect that if someone has a need, I'm just going to give them money and please don't remember that I gave it to you. Like, I don't want, I don't want to have a ledger. Like, please don't. But at the same time, like if you throw a 20 at me, I don't really want you keeping score either. That feels like it feels equally yucky on both sides. I had to be like in my 30, like well into my 30s before I realized that that's different in every household. And that it's so, not necessarily yeah. like bad or good. It, it like it could both right, ways it can come from love and want and right. wanting to be fair and supportive, um, but just come out in totally opposite ways. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. Um, I think what what I'll add is I do come from a family where expectations and things like loans or what parents will pay for and what was our responsibility to start to take on as we got older was always really clearly spelled out. And I do feel grateful for that. But like, to your point, I think I came out with a frame of reference, like that was the only way. And so hearing Mm -hmm. you talk about why, why that could be perceived as, I don't know, sort of heartless or controlling, um, I can really see, but I think that was just what I thought was the way. And I think, um, I benefited from those clear expectations. I think my parents experienced like a movement upward in wealth as I was growing up to the point where the, the challenge was if things, if, if lots of things could be paid for, I'm not going to say if anything could be paid for, cause not anything could be paid for, but if abundance is ours to decide what to do um, for our kids, what's the challenge in not turning out spoiled kids, not turning out kids who expect everything to be paid for. And I really admire how my parents dealt with that for kids who grew up 
where I did, I had, uh, I would say a lot more clear sense of what would be paid for, like my education and what wouldn't be like the fun that I had when I was getting my education. And so I had part-time jobs and I didn't ever wonder like, Ooh, I wonder if mom and dad will like cover this spring break trip. If I had a question, it was a conversation and it was like, Hey, I really Mm want to go on this spring break trip. And then it was like, okay, that sounds fun. Um, you don't have a job right now because you're in school full time. So how about we pay for your plane ticket and you save up from your babysitting for all of the meals? So we all we were constantly in a dialogue around what was fair. And because they were in a position where they could pay for lots of things, I'm actually really grateful that they didn't and that I had to like figure out how to have those conversations. It sounds wildly different from from what you just described and we can get into our yeah. own kids and like how that's now trickling down. Yeah, and I think um just to add one more thought to that, like I think that proactiveness is really wise because and I know we'll get into this, one trap I could see myself falling into is feeling like, well, because I was, you know, broke for a lot of my kids' lives, if there was extra money, I wanted to be generous with it and like uh-huh. use it for something that would be fun for them. And I think sometimes there can be like a, a slow slide where one day I'm like, oh, wait, it's not that just I happen to have a little money to spend on them. Now I have money all the time. I need yeah. to stop spending it on them. Yeah. And I think it's really easy for families who have come from financial situations where they didn't have anything and then feel like, Oh my gosh, I have a little extra money. We like, I get to be generous. This is so fun, which I think is what would happen with my, and with my family growing up. If it was, if it was there, we had fun with it. And like my parents spent it on us and we're, there was never, it didn't happen enough that it ever became an expectation. So it still kept us all kind of humble, I guess. Yeah. And like not expecting, I think the cardinal sin in my house as a kid would have been to be greedy or expect Mm -hmm. that to happen. But what if you get to the point where it like the slide from it happening sometimes to it happening all the time just happens really gradually and you don't even see it happening. That could be a really easy trap for me personally to fall into. So it's a good conversation for us to have. I'm sure I'll come away with some, some good ideas about how to be, you know, a little more stringent and maybe you'll have the opposite. Well, and I will, we'll get into it, but I have a, co-parent who like experienced much more like what you're describing. And so that like when you start to need to talk to kids about money and you and your spouse are coming from different like points of view or different upbringings, like it, it has, it needs to be talked about at the very least, because yeah. um, otherwise, uh, otherwise like you both think that your way is the, the quote unquote normative and it's just not as we've established. Yeah. So. Megan, spring is one of our family's busiest seasons with tons of time on the go. There are so many places to be and details to remember. And the last thing I need is the constant irritation of uncomfortable shoes. So today we're talking about the Vionic Vitals collection from our longtime sponsor, Vionic Shoes. These are the best essential shoe styles for everyday wear this season. So Katie on our team is getting ready for warmer weather in Chicagoland with a pair of Vionic's Bella Toe Post sandals. These are Vionic's best-selling flip-flop style, and they have a cute little bow on them. They come in nine great colors, but Katie chose a versatile black patent leather. They're super supportive for her high instep, and they even come in wide sizes, which is a great option. Yeah, the styles in the Vionic Vitals collection are classics that don't really go out of fashion, and because they're such great quality, they're going to last as well, even with daily wear, which mine definitely get. 
And I love that Vionic offers a 30-day guarantee. Wear them, love them, or return them for a full refund within 30 days. But I have a feeling after those 30 days, our listeners will love their Vionic shoes so much they'll be ready to order another pair. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at Vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. We are welcoming back Olive and June as a sponsor. And Megan, I'm so excited about this partnership because with spring right around the corner, I love refreshing the little things in my life, including my manicure. I am the biggest fan of doing my nails at home instead of at a salon because it's convenient, so much cheaper at just $2 a mani, and the results can't be beat. It all begins with Olive and June. Yeah, Olive and June's Manny system has everything you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. These are profesh tools designed just for DIY. A couple of the items included are their best-selling poppy, which makes it so easy to brush on a smooth coat, even with your non-dominant hand, which you do have to use about half the time, it turns out, (laughs) and their award-winning cuticle serum, which is so nourishing and a finishing touch I love. Well, I've been a big fan of their quick dry polish for a while now. It seriously dries in about a minute, making it perfect for busy moms. Visit oliveandjune.com slash themomhour for 20% off your first Manny system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash T-H-E-M-O-M-H-O-U-R for 20% off your first Manny system. All right. So we talked a little bit about our families of origin, but let's just dive into... All the things that come up when kids start to have their own money, and I think that could be a five-year-old with a little allowance, but we'll probably mostly focus on the older kids and preteens and teens because that's where we are right now, Um, whether it's via allowance or gifts from the grandparents or a part-time job. What, What have you noticed raising five kids who are learning to manage their own money? Like where have tensions come up and maybe what have you learned over time? So I'll just start with a really kind of simple, uh, you know, and and slightly annoying one. And that is kids who are constantly forgetting their money and then either wanting me to front them cash. And and it's not like they're even asking to borrow money because the expectation is they're truly going to give it to me when we get back. It's at home and you're at the store. It's at home. Yeah. Right. And we're at the store. And sometimes I will and sometimes I won't. And it's not, we're not, we'll talk more about like loaning money later. It's not exactly that. It might be a five minute loan, but I still get like, hey, part of the responsibility of having money is yeah. like having enough on you to pay for things um, and having like your wallet with you. So that's just been like, that's like kind of, I don't know, that's like adjacent to actual, like the wallet is money adjacent. But I do find that to be one of those things where I'm always like, okay. I'm not, I don't want to be their personal ATM machine. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that they're going to pay me the money back is sort of um, irrelevant at some point. So it's just like a little naggy thing. Yeah. Um, but the much bigger picture is the lack that sometimes can happen. And this is on me, but also I will say it's on me, but it's also a little bit um, in flux because as kids get older, these expectations shift. So a lack of like really clear expectations around which things they're expected to pay for with their own money. What's the stuff I will pay for, um, how that might change as they get older and like how that might change as their ability to earn changes. And that's the thing I feel like I have not been able to get quite a handle on, like, what does it cost to be a teenage kid these days? And 
How does them working a minimum wage job, for example, affect that? And how important is it to me that they have real money they're earning versus just learning how to earn money? Like those things for me can get very tangled up in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not as consistent as I could be. And like I mentioned, a real, a real potential weakness of mine would be the desire to be generous when it's not teaching the right lesson or being generous to the point where I then feel like I'm being taken advantage of. And some kids like Will and I did pretty good with that. Like he would know when it was time to ask me um, if I would pick something up or he just knew he's got a high EQ as they say. Mm -hmm. And like, Mm -hmm. he would just know how to read the room and to be thinking, okay, I really want, I don't know this shirt, but I'm a little low on cash. I'm going to ask mom if she'll get it for me in such a way that she's not going to feel put out. And he and I had, we just kind of played each other, I guess. I don't know how else to put it, but we not like in a bad or manipulative way. I think we just did that dance really well. Owen and I are so different. Owen would rather he knows exactly what he has to pay for and exactly what he doesn't. And he would rather I never gave him a gift if there was any, if there was any inconsistency. So if the, if it then turned out later, he couldn't have the same thing as a gift. And now the expectation is that he's paying for it. He would not be grateful for the gift. He'd be irritated that that it changed (laughs) and he would get very puffy with me. He needs to know the rule in advance, but I don't really have a rule sometimes. So there's that give and take. And, um, I throw those two out because they're both teenagers who both have access to the ability to earn money and both have chosen to use their money very differently. And, um, with Clara, it's, I don't even know with that girl, like what that's going to be like, because she's just a total, her own person. But yeah, anyway, it's just an example of how something that works really well with one kid might not work very well with another. I don't know. What about you? I think I have a couple others to circle back to, but I'm curious if this is driving with anything for you. I mean, this is like such a giant question. Like, what have we noticed about our kids and them having their own money? I mean, the first thing I notice is how different each kid is about mm-hmm. the the behavior that comes up around spending, saving, like you said, with Owen, um, wanting to control the predictability of money. And then I'll just throw in, you have five kids spread out. So you have a little bit more practice, like modifying things for vastly different ages. My three Mm -hmm. are each about two years apart. And there's many areas of parenting right now at nine, 12 and 14 that it's really an ongoing struggle to like remind my kids, you guys are not the same age. The way that I handle money with a 14 year old is going to be different than a nine. And I don't know if it was like the COVID years or those, those gravy years you told me where like, I really could sort of parent them like as this sort of little unit, but, um, so like a point of tension in a lot of areas right now is the giving the 14 year old, the life skills and the independence that, and a, then the flexibility that a freshman in high school has earned and deserves and needs, and then not hearing it on the back end constantly from a nine-year-old who's like, but why did so, uh, um, so yes, one point of tension is like you said, figuring out what works for each kid, how to keep things relatively fair, but also parenting different ages and stages. Um, something that kind of like irks me, I guess, is, um, what I noticed to be, a desire to spend money just for the dopamine hit. Like, 
Uh-huh. I'm not going to even <laughs> yeah. name which kids because I think they they actually all do it in different ways. But I'm really trying not to judge that because I was the kid who wanted to go in the gift store wherever we were. I just wanted to go in the gift store. Something about those shiny shelves and the the tinkling of the cash register and like the promise of just getting some little new trinket. And I think it drove my parents crazy. So I think it's just a right of childhood to be like, I'm a little bored. I wonder what I could buy today. But um, going back to the family of origin stuff, I have some I have some real concerns about the privilege my kids are experiencing it for themselves and also in their peer groups around them. And so I, it's like this constant desire to not fulfill immediate wishes with something that can be like have money thrown at it. And it's like, it's like a battle. I feel like I'm always losing because it's, it's the time we live in. It's that it's, you can get on Amazon and get something tomorrow. Like we live in a beautiful place with lots of shopping and they, they're aware of what things they could buy. And so the, this kind of like consumerism combined with potentially entitled kids is like, it's like a little, not devil on my shoulder. It's not a devil. It's, it's like a, like a little warning light that I wish sometimes that I could just chill out about. Like they're, they yeah. are kids. They're going to want money to buy stuff. Cause that's how kids are. And I'm doing my best to counter some of that with some clear expectations and like learning the value of a dollar and all of that. But I can't do it all, Megan. I guess that's my you can't. statement. I can't, well, you do it can't all. and you can't, and you also can't force any of them to know, like to absorb all the messages and to have a good head on their shoulders about it and to understand their play. Like not, you, you can't make those things happen. You could do your best. Like, you know what I mean? But they could grow up in a very different financial situation and still have entitlement issues. Like, you you know, and my one thing that drives me nuts with my kids is like the obsession with, and I'm not going to say they're all obsessed all the time. That's, that would be very unfair, but the occasional comments they'll make about other people's financial status and so-and-so is rich. And I want to say almost nobody here is rich. Like where we live, there are people who are relatively more or less affluent. There are people who live in very nice houses. There are people with well-paying executive jobs at Whirlpool or whatever. But the kind of wealth you might see like in Santa Barbara or in like Chicago's North Shore or something like that, it just almost doesn't exist here unless it's people with second homes. Like there's just, there's so little of that here. Um, that I want to then play like the know-it-all social scientist and be like, actually, do you even understand real wealth? And like, I really want to kind of give it to them, <laughs> like, yeah. give them a lesson in like, it's kind of like trying to talk them down. We always say King poop on turd Hill, like uh-huh. talk them down from that. Like you think you're up, you think you have some status. We're still on a hill of poop, but it's a great hill of poop. I love this hill of poop, but still like as like have some perspective, but that's really unf- like kids just know what they know. They don't know they anything. Only else. Know. They only know what they know. And I can speak from yeah. the exact inverse of that, which just to be crass for a second, like basically everyone around my kids is rich and yeah. they don't know, like they don't have any idea. So this is leading into my next question. And, and to your point, they only know what they know and we can only try so hard to like, learn them up that perspective. Like we've talked about when it comes to teaching gratitude or teaching world worldly, like, yes, we all want to do that, but it, it just doesn't happen overnight. I did want to ask actually about like the ideas kids get in their head about money. And that's what you started to speak to. Like, I think it's so funny 
we're pretty open with my, with my kids when they ask questions about what a house costs or what, Mm -hmm. um, how much, how much a, a job typically makes in salary. And we have a lot of like very factually accurate conversations about different regions of the country, real estate, different careers and professions. Yeah, um, yeah we I'm, do too, actually. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious, like, I wonder if a generation or two ago, first of all, those, those questions would have been a little more hush hush or off limits. But I also wonder if it feeds into what we're talking about, which is like, then they're armed with some information, but still not enough comparative perspective right. on how the world really works. And no matter where you live, that's going to be the case. I guess you could live it. You could live in a really socioeconomically like, um, diverse and sort of like very, an area with a lot of variety. Um, I think a lot of people anymore don't live in places like that. Yeah. Well, okay. There's it, whether it was hush hush and I'm the same, like to my, to the best of my ability, if my kids ask a question about what does a house cost? What does a car cost? what kind of money does someone in this job make? Like whatever. Um, I will answer it very frankly. I think I have access to a lot better information now than yeah. my parents did. So I don't know that my parents would have shied away from the question. I'm just not sure they would have been equipped to answer it necessarily. Yeah. And then if you were just went by like what we saw um, in media was like cartoonish, like mm-hmm. the Beverly Hillbillies mm-hmm. or like, Um, I'm trying to think of like what other examples there would have been of, well, okay. Like the fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Okay. Mm -hmm. So obviously he's super, super wealthy. They live in a mansion, but what does that even mean? Like, what would that have meant to me as a kid? Yeah. Like coming into my teen years in the nineties and like how, what would that have meant for like that family? And I don't know. It's just like, it was cartoonish and very like stereotypical in the way, um, those, those things played out. It's kind of interesting today. I was having a conversation with Owen on the way to school and he asked me what my first job, what I earned at my first job. And I said, I think it was, I mean, it was in agriculture. So I kind of feel like, and I was only 13 and I feel like they could pay a little bit less. Yeah. Um, Cause I was detasseling corn and I don't even think I got minimum wage. I think it was like around $4 an hour. And I said, but you know, the, the first minimum wage job I got, I remember it was uh, $4 and 85 cents an hour. And then pretty quickly after that, it went up to like five twenty, And I said, and so while I was talking, I was kind of thinking about how old I was. And I said, wow, Owen, I was, that was 30 years ago. And you would only make probably, you know, five or $6 more per hour doing that same job now. Like I think the minimum wage in Michigan is, I don't know, like eight fifty or something. And I said, but things have gotten a lot more expensive. And it was just an interesting, like, yeah. I know that I know, I, I know that rationally and logically that things continue to get more expensive and are outpacing the minimum yeah. wage. But having that conversation, I said, yeah, like a few more dollars an hour doesn't suddenly make you, um, an extra thousand dollars a month to have for right. rent. Like right. those numbers don't add up or whatever else, you know, whatever else it was. So that was a good conversation for us to have. But at the same time, I lived in a small town in the Midwest and even, so if he'd been someplace else, the experience would have been very different. When we did our episode about college and the, like, it was much more about like how our families think about college. And I loved that episode a few weeks ago. Um, you talked about impressions your kids have gotten from peers and, and forces outside your home about a college education, what it costs, mm-hmm. whether it's worth it. Do you, is there anything like that with money where you just think, well, this is out of my control. Like this is a message that they're getting about wealth 
or money or jobs or anything that is just because of the generation they're in or perhaps their peers or other influences? I mean, yeah, but I don't exactly know what it is. Like, I don't know what they're absorbing and that kind of freaks me out sometimes. Um, I think there can be a little bit of, well, obviously a disconnect between what's what they think will happen and what will really happen. Or like when they talk about the job that they might get out of school and what they consider to be, Oh, that's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And it's not like, I want to say, I actually remember having almost this exact conversation with my dad and I got so frustrated. And now I totally know why we had this conversation. So I was like 16 and I wanted to get a summer job where I was working, packaging suckers, Okay, 40 hours a week. We had like a fancy sucker company in my little town And I wanted to get a job there. And I believe it was five, I think it was five, 25 an hour. I think that was the rate, which I, which seemed like a lot to me. And I was like, well, dad, if I work 40 hours a week, that's like 200 and some dollars after taxes, even after taxes, it'll be like 200 a month or a week. And he said, "Uh uh-huh. And I said, well, that's a lot of money. And he's, he, I remember him patiently trying to explain to me why that wasn't a lot of money. And I was getting really mad. Like, I was like, but it's so much money. I could, because at that point, my worldview was anything that buys me like all the Z Cavaricci jeans I want <laughs> is a lot of money. And it didn't occur to me that were I to try to support myself with that money, which is what he was trying to say, that it actually wasn't a lot of money at all. And like, yeah. it was like we were talking over each other. It, mm-hmm. it was like, it was like there was like cartoon arrows missing each other, yeah. like coming mm-hmm. out and just not sticking the landing. And that's the kind of conversation I feel like I sometimes have with my kids because the ideas they're getting around, like, what's a good job or what's a good salary or what's a reasonable amount of money to spend on something. Um, it's based on them being kids who've never really had to take care of themselves. Yeah. They don't know anything. Even if I made them like, even if I instilled as much financial responsibility and, um, perspective as I possibly could about the world and as much information, it still is not going to register till they try to do it. Oh, that's so true. I think one of those like gaps in understanding that I see with my kids is, and this is actually a good reminder for us adults too, is that like the sort of external material indicators of wealth is just like the tip of the iceberg in terms of like what people actually, what they make, not that we deserve what to know what they make, but where, you know, where their money is coming from, what jobs they have, and also what their values are and why they're choosing to make spending decisions the way we see them making. So for example, vacations and where people go on spring break and summer break is, is pretty obvious where I live. And sometimes it's, it's mind boggling. Um, so, I mean, I have felt at times that we are the only people left here in town and we live in a place where people come for vacation, but then people go to crazy crazy places and take four kids, three or four kids. And in my mind, that knee jerk, like probably slightly, I don't know, it, it maybe is it judgmental or just like different from my own sensibility. I'm like, oh my gosh, that would cost, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to do that mm. like over and over again, these vacations. Well, I don't have any idea what that family's saving values are, what their right. spending values are what like wealth looks like. And so that's the part that's so hard to sort of convey to kids is that a car or a vacation or even like a brand of shoes is just not, we're not getting the whole story. And I think that's true at 
many levels of the like socioeconomic spectrum. Um, but especially if there are name brands or like destinations attached that it's like, Oh, that family's rich or that family, you know, like drives this kind of car. And so I think that is another thing that I'm looking for ways to broaden. Um, it makes me think I did an interview a couple of few years ago now with Natalie Taylor, who's, um, a personal financial planner that I had on the podcast. And I don't think to have her back actually her, the way she talked about like making values-based decisions about money for your family, really having very little to do with like actual income and expenses. Of course it has something to do with it, but so much more about like what's important to you and travel and adventure is really important to some people in a way that it might not be for me in this season of Mm -hmm. life. So I guess that was a long way of saying I can see my kids getting not the full picture of what it means to have certain external measures of wealth. And, you know, there's nothing I can do about that except continue to invite curiosity and questions and conversation. And they like, just like we were saying, they will eventually learn like you did with that conversation with your dad. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think too, like even, even conversations that happen with your kids as they get older and closer to college age and are making decisions at a very young age about what potential career path they might end up on where a swing of $10,000 the first year may add up quickly. You know what I mean? Like in what it allows you to do in your early twenties and how quickly that grows. Like, I think I had no concept of that. Like I, Mm -hmm. I didn't have any understanding that if I came into the job market at X, it wouldn't just stay there forever. And that if I started at X versus Y, like it would continue the the two of them, if you plotted them out on a chart on a, on a graph, like it would, the higher one would go up, 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 up. And so Will was asking me about being a teacher and that's what he wants to do. He wants to be a middle school teacher, which I think is great. Mm -hmm. Um, but then he made some offhand comment like, well, you know, aunt Jenna's a teacher and like, she's, she drives a really nice car and seems like she has a lot of money. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) First of all, aunt Jenna's been a teacher for 25 plus years. Right. So like she didn't start off making great money. B, she's got a Mary or a spouse who works too. C, they didn't go anywhere for like a decade and a half. Like they never went on any vacations. They didn't spend a lot of or any money. I mean, they really were very, maybe not 25 years. She's been a teacher, but it's been a long time, like over two decades. So it's like you, and she got a full ride all four years of college and went to an inexpensive state school. So let's plot all those things on a map, right? Your experience, if you go rack up a bunch of debt, um, try to go buy a brand new car your first year of teaching, blah, blah, blah. All of those things is going to very drastically change. Like you can be a a broke teacher Mm -hmm. and you can be a teacher who's doing okay. Like those, both of those things can be true. And it has like only one little thing to do with the salary. And I don't think that kids understand that. Yeah. To them, the earning potential is all that exists. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. I don't know. So much, so much still to teach them. (laughs) I know. Are you writing this all down so you can, you know, make sure you get to it all? Exactly. (laughs) BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. 
See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, so I have a little vent, Megan, and we we touched on this earlier. You talked about fronting your kids' cash when they leave their wallet at home, um, and you also talked about like family of origin stuff, where just you know buying something for somebody because the cash is there is more of the norm, whereas borrowing, keeping a ledger and paying back is not the norm. So I came from kind of the opposite, which is like, if someone needed to borrow five bucks for something, you would expect them to pay you back. Maybe there wasn't a ledger, but there was sort of like an implied fairness and a a set of expectations. And so what's so funny now with my kids is like, I just cannot figure out how to logistically keep track of the IOUs that fly around our house. And it's, it's not for lack of effort, but like, I think these are important questions. Like how fluid and flexible are we when a kid says, mom, I've got $27 in my piggy bank, but I really want this thing. That's $32. If I order it today, will you pay for it? And then I'll do jobs to make up the difference by the time it arrives. And there's a lot of this kind of wheeling and dealing that happens in my house. And usually the answer to that would be yes, but then to follow the thread. So then I've got now placing an online order for something that's $32 plus maybe tax. And now they owe me 35, but they're short. And now we've got to figure out like, okay, how are they going to earn that off? Or do they have an allowance coming? And then how do I remember? Like keeping track of all this is really a challenge for me. Um, And also, like I mentioned that my kids are like very shiny object motivated, like the idea of a purchase often is the most exciting thing. Then getting the purchase is now it's like, oh, now I owe mom six dollars. And now I've got to be the one to chase them down for that six dollars and keep track of it. It's just so funny. I have um, two really quick stories I'll share. One time Violet um, convinced me to do this with a little husky dog from the American Girl catalog and a, a whole set of like. It's like a pretend dog, like a stuffed animal, basically, and it's leash and it's food bowl and all this stuff. And American Girl Catalog is not cheap, as we know. So the whole total out the door was about 40 bucks. She didn't have any money. She sold me on this plan that she was going to like do all these jobs. And that I said, okay, we're going to put it up in the closet until you have the money and you can look at it and it'll be motivating because it'll be right there at your fingertips. I don't know why I agreed to this. She, Megan, she didn't do the work. She didn't like once it was there, she didn't <laughs> yeah. want it anymore. And I bought a dog that nobody ever played with. And I never yep. gave it to her because I was like, no, it's not yours. It's mine. But the thing is, I didn't want the dog. Right, um, you didn't want, right. No, she will also do a thing when she's short on cash where she sets up a sale outside her bedroom door and makes really cute little like signs. And it always looks really cute, but she's essentially selling trash that nobody wants. It'll be like, It'll be like a plastic so trinket funny. she got from the treasure box. And it'll be like $3. I used to do the same thing yeah. at her age. And then just the when rest- I wanted to raise some quick cash. Yes. This <laughs> yes. is her quick. Yeah. It is her quick get yeah. rich quick scheme. And the whole rest of the family 
buys into it, pun intended. So she'll clear like 12 bucks from an afternoon sale. And I'm looking around at the family like, you're all suckers. Like she didn't really earn this money. She just tricked you into buying her garbage from her room. And now she's got $12. Now she's going to tell me she wants shoes that are 18 and I'm going to be right back in the same cycle. So I don't know. Is any of this like uh, uh, back to the borrowing and the IOU? Yeah. Is this a thing that happens in your house? Okay. So first of all, I just want to be clear because I think I, when I was talking about like family background stuff, um, that there, there, it's not like there was never any expectations around like the difference between a loan and a gift. There was, I just think that people in my house are more, or in my growing up were more oriented to look at if you had it, give it freely and let's not make a big deal about it kind of a thing. So Uh where with my kids, I would really rather not have to be juggling IOUs, um, which isn't to say everything they want. They either it's, you'll never get a loan or it's a gift. It's not always like, I'm never going to give it to you or it's always a gift. It's more like I will find myself because I truly don't have the mental capacity to actually be juggling all of these transactions. Yeah. I will find ways to make it seem like we've done a deal when actually the deal only benefits them. Um, but I think when they were younger, I just thought, well, is the point that I actually get this money or is the point that I teach them that Mm. things aren't free and that money has to be paid back. And I decided the point is I just want them to understand money isn't free and it doesn't just come out of nowhere and, um, things have to be paid for but that doesn't mean I actually want to get the money from them because I don't want to put the mental energy into tracking it. So I would come up with things like, and I still do this, an immediate chore that can be done like right now, Uh even if I don't really need it done so that they can earn the money to get the thing. Um, So that's something we've done. Um, I'm trying to think what else, or like sometimes it'll be a credit against the next allowance they would have gotten. And I'll Uh just go ahead and give them what's left over. Like I will. So let's pretend Owen right now said, and Owen's not getting an allowance presently because he's old enough to have a job and that's a whole separate conversation. So right now he's earning money. He's, he doesn't have a job. The money he gets from me is not given. It is earned by mowing the lawn and things like that. But let's say I knew Owen was going to mow the lawn on Friday and I knew I was going to pay him 25 bucks for that. It's a big lawn. And he wants $5 for this game. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to remember any of this for more than five minutes. Like I'm already bored of this conversation. I hand him, I hand him a $20 bill and I say, this is for next time you mow the lawn. And the $5 I just paid for the game. So I'm like, you're really blowing my mind. Yeah. (laughs) I'm advancing him the whole thing so that I don't ever have to think about it again. Yeah. You are really, you are really prioritizing your own mental load in a way I have not figured out how to do, because I think I get hung up on the fairness or the, um, like what the lesson they should be learning. So I am like, you thought I was taking notes before I'm rapidly taking (laughs) notes now. No, that's really smart. It is really, really smart. Yeah. Um, Cause I won't forget, like, that's not the same as me balancing, like the amount of money that I borrowed or lent because when he mows the lawn on Friday, I'll remember I already gave him the money. Like, I'm not yeah. going to forget that. It's that's an easy thing to remember. And he wouldn't let me pay him twice. He's not going to try to, like, trick me. Yeah. So if I did, you know, forget and start handing him 25 bucks, he'd be like, oh, no, you already got me. So it feels it's like asking for an advance on your entire paycheck. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think it's really smart. Um, I will say all three of my kids also have really good integrity about that kind of stuff. Like when you say he wouldn't let you pay him twice, like my kids are, even though the mental load mostly falls to me on the IOUs, if, if there is a question or if they're like, no mom, like you already, we already did that. Or I like, I haven't paid you yet if I think they have. So that is kind of sweet to say, like there is a, there's a baseline integrity. Nobody's trying to totally, no one's trying to rip mom off. (laughs) No, except with, except with the bedroom garbage store, but that's like a different kind of rip off. If there's a sucker born every day and if you (laughs) bought it, then like, that's your choice. You know, the other thing I was thinking though, that, um, that has been a good strategy over the years for me, when I don't want to deal with the mommy, I want this, but I don't have the money. Can you lend me the money? And then can you remember that how much money you lent me and track it? Right. Is the whole, like, well, you have a birthday coming up. Would you like this to be an early birthday gift? Mm -hmm. Sometimes the answer is yes. And then I will, I won't forget that either. Like, that's an easy thing to remember. Like, oh yeah, I bought, I bought Clara those shoes three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. So I'll just, that counts as a birthday gift. And so I've done stuff like that. And sometimes I say no, like if I really just, they don't have the money. I don't think they need the thing and I don't want to deal with it. I also sometimes I'm just like, nah, yeah, I don't think you'll, I don't think this is a priority. Like you don't need this. And let's talk about it again. If you still want it in six months. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Put it on your Christmas list. Yeah. Agreed. Um, do your kids ever spot each other? I'm thinking of small amounts of cash, not like, will you help me buy this pair of shoes? But like Violet is chronically like $2 short of whatever she wants. And she's also, she does not get an allowance. Um, the older two get an allowance, but they have a little bit more expectations and they have to pay for more of their own stuff. Um, and so she's constantly just a dollar or two short of some like $8 thing that she wants. Like she's constantly operating in like single digit number of dollars that she owns, yes. but the older two will often spot her. And sometimes they say, you don't have to pay me back, which is like, it, that is very heartwarming and very sweet. And sometimes she will pay them back and she'll end up owing them, you know, three or $4 or something. And so I, that has been nice to see. And then, then they have to manage their own IOUs and it's not about me. So I'm curious if you're, if you're five loan each other money. They do. And I stay out of it. Um, because of just that, the, like, I don't want to be the one trying to now manage. And I do think there has been, there have been some hard feelings and like fights at the teenage level about money, like larger amounts of money being borrowed and and lent. And then there were some lessons learned there. And if the kids have ever come to me and said, oh, you know, so-and-so borrowed this money and didn't pay it back, then I will tell them about the trickiness of giving a gift you can't afford or like giving a loan you can't afford to give Mm -hmm. and how that often just doesn't work out. So if it's a loan, it's a, if it's a loan, really be sure you want to get into that loan. Otherwise maybe it's really just a gift, which is, so I think it's really sweet that they give Violet money. She doesn't make her own money. Like Mm -hmm. in the same way it's, it feels to be more like, um, just an act of caretaking or like a benevolence so. yeah, and I like so. doing good with what they, the bounty that they have had bestowed mm-hmm. upon them. So I think yeah. that's sweet. And they don't have to, there's no obligation. No, they don't have to do that. I was going to say I, that has brought up some good conversations about, um, Violet is very persuasive and very mm-hmm. like uh, just, she is the hardest one to say no to. And maybe that's a baby of the family thing, but it also may be a personality thing. Um, because she's very charismatic, but she's also like a dog with a bone. Like sometimes she just won't let it go. And so I have had to give my older two permission and, and skills to be able to say no to someone you love and who you want to make happy. Cause that is also a really important life skill to be like, no, I love you. I wish I could help you, 
but I'm saving for my own thing and I'm going to say no. And when I, when I like get a little spidey sense of that kind of conversation, I really try to come in and, and bolster or just make sure that the, the one saying no has my support because that can be hard too. It can be hard to say no mm-hmm. to someone you love and you want to make happy, whether it's your kid or your brother or, you know, so anyway. One thing I have seen my kids do at the, um, when it comes to lending and borrowing and one person having a financial need is they'll sometimes like shuffle parts of a job off in another kid. So like, uh-huh. let's pretend, uh-huh. yeah, there's like a job being done that either they're going to get paid for, or is just something that's expected, but they have allowance money. Uh-huh. The, I'll, they like, will get the sibling to pay for it with labor, which I'm also support. It's yep. economy. Like it's yep. how the economy works. You have to either have the money or you have to do something yep. <laughs> so, to get the money. Yeah. It's yeah, it's great. I think all of this is really great learning for kids. And I think just like with sibling fights and other things we, we talk about with siblings, it's like that non-attached moms in the other room with one ear open. If you hear like really egregious taking advantage of or dishonesty, then that's a time for that lesson. But if, if what you're hearing is like you said, like an economic ecosystem happening like mini capitalism in your house. Like I think there's a lot they can work out on their own and there's a lot of lessons to be learned without our interfering. So I love that. Um, I thought we could just finish by sharing a couple of things that have been useful or helpful as our kids have grown up learning to, you know, think about money. I'll just share a couple, um, on a very practical note, we have been using go Henry for our kids debit cards, um, for a couple of years, about two years exactly. And they were initially a sponsor of the mom hour, although that was a very short lived, I kept wishing they'd come back. I'm like, I have so much more good things to say about this company, but we've continued on as just paying customers. But basically our kids each have a debit card that, um, Brian or I can preload with our own money. But what I love about go Henry, two things, one is those transfers, those IOUs that we've talked about are so fast and easy in the app. Yeah. Like, okay, Reed owes me 10 bucks. Okay. I fronted him when we were out and he didn't have his wallet. Like it can be done in real time on either of our phones. So if your kid has a device on theirs, but also then on mine, they can also transfer to each other, sibling to sibling, which is really cool. The app and the the cards, everything is like kid friendly, but not not kidified to the point that it's like play money. It's like, you know, it really works well. They can use those debit cards in regular stores for regular things. Um, but also go Henry helps kids have savings goals. So like Luke is very motivated to buy very expensive shoes that I don't understand like why one would, but that's okay. It's not my (laughs) money. Um, and so like he can set aside $2 from every allowance automatically. So it never hits his main account. So some of those like things that we all had to learn as like 30 year olds about um, like proactive saving and like creating kind of a bucket over here that never, that you never mess with um, is built right into go Henry. And I've really liked that. So that's just a a takeaway tool that we're really happy with for all three. And then um, we mentioned like having those clear expectations about is mom and dad going to pay for this or do I pay for this? Something that's worked really well for us is to have those expectations be flexible enough that they change for each new season of life or maybe a trip or an opportunity. And so we're constantly having the conversation about what's your responsibility to pay for and what are we going to pay for? Um, And I think they're so used to it now that before a vacation, for example, they'll be like, Hey, so what's the deal with souvenirs on this trip? And we do it differently every time. It's, it's kind of like an ongoing experiment. I will say that the, my, the best choice I ever made was Disneyland this past winter 
something that is a pain point for me is the the expensiveness of the snacks and the treats. I knew we were going to buy these kids lunch and dinner every day. Like I was prepared for the expenditure uh, and the price hiking that happens with lunch and dinner. But then when they're asking for frozen lemonade and churros and candy, and I'm like, no, we just had lunch. So what I did was I combined a little souvenir um, budget and and a snack budget. And I made it a little higher than I would normally. So they were very excited about the amount of money they had, but they had to buy all their own food except for lunch and dinner. And so it was so fascinating to see which kids prioritized sweets and snacks and which kids prioritized like you could have bought like a nice, like a nice souvenir with that. And um, Mm -hmm. combining those two things was actually removed so much mental load from me. And it was just a little Disneyland experiment. I wouldn't do that on another vacation because I'm going to buy them breakfast and their snacks and other things throughout the trip. So I guess being flexible, but treating each new opportunity as like, okay, how can we set up the finances that feel fair and give them some learning this time? And it doesn't have to look the same every time. I love that. I did something very similar. Well, we did when um, Eric and I took my three younger kids and his daughter on spring break together because we didn't want to have it be like one family's constantly pulling it. Like we knew we would have different, I guess, habits or routines or whatever expectations around how souvenirs work, how treats work. And we didn't want it to feel imbalanced one way or the other. Yeah. So each kid just got like a big chunk of money. And what was fascinating to watch is like Clara within a day had blown almost all of her souvenir money and was distraught. Like she was so upset that of the stupid choices that she made. So that was like a good learning lesson for her. Yep. And after that, she just had like a little bit left for snacks, but nothing left for souvenirs. And we were like one day in, um, Owen took almost all of his money home. Yeah. He yep. didn't spend hardly any of it. And I would see him like weighing out whether it was worth it. And then sometimes he'd be like, so is this one of those things where like, I have to buy it or were you going to buy it? I said, no, no, I'm literally not buying any snacks literally at all. Nothing. And so yeah. <laughs> literally nothing. And so he just took all of it home and Will was somewhere in the middle. But yeah, I think that that handing them money and letting them figure out how to deal with it can be painful for them because it's like they learned their own (laughs) foibles, Um, but there's good learning in there. Tons of good learning. Um, I was going to say the clear expectations thing. One that kind of pops into my head is related to whether something is a chore that you just do because you belong to this family or a money-making activity. Um, and sometimes I've gotten myself into trouble when I'm not super clear. And then my kids like think they have a credit with me or something. Like I've been really helpful this week, mom. Well, yeah, it's like, yeah, but you remember how I, you know, took the trash out? And I said, right, you just did that because I asked you. And then there's this like crestfallen look on their face. So just being really clear about that too. I, I, usually think that I'm clear, but sometimes I think you have to be like even more clear than you think is necessary. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess the thing that I think is the most helpful for me is just a lot of like balance in the, between being really open about money, but not making it a source of stress for the kids. So the way I kind of make it is like, Hey, this is not in the budget. Money's a little tight. I'm saving for something else. This was more expensive than I thought. The car has a repair. I mean, they need to understand those things. I'm like a single mom. Like they need to understand that like life is maybe different, looks different for me than it might be for other families that they know. And that maybe like, I'm also a single self-employed mom. So it, it doesn't take a lot to throw the margins off Uh or to make them tight. 
But then I'm really matter of fact. And it's like, but this is my problem. Like, here's reality, but it's my problem. I'm in control of it. The reason I'm making this choice is so that there won't be a problem for you. So like, you don't have to worry about it. You're just not getting that thing or we're not going on that trip or whatever the thing is. And honestly, it's so much easier for me to handle that on my own. Uh, We didn't talk too much in this episode about like the dynamics of when you're not necessarily on the same page. But I do think that I didn't realize to the extent to which my ex and I were not on the same page about talking about money with the kids. And Mm -hmm. when we were married, he was very tight lipped about money. He didn't like talking about money in front of the kids at all. Um, He thought that like, if we said something about a budget or not being able to afford something that they would take that to mean we're broke or we're poor, or you should worry about money. What I think is interesting is now the kids tell me he talks all the time about money and how he doesn't want to get them a soda when they're out or um, buy groceries at the expensive supermarket. And I think probably he realized that, you know, being wholly in charge of his household budget and the one the kids are going to asking for stuff, I'm just going to guess has been very eye-opening for him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but either way, like now those conversations and his values around that are happening in his house and my conversations and my values are happening in my house. And I think they're pretty different. So I'm that has made it easier. I'm not recommending you go get divorced so that you can talk more easily about money with your kids. I'm just saying it was a nice byproduct for me. It well, made yeah. that much, much simpler. There, you are, you are, um, creating the the narrative within your four walls in a much cleaner way. It's not that there aren't outside influences or they're not learning about it from other places, but yeah, you, you have the total control in that way, including their dad. And I do think it's interesting to have, I think one of the interesting side effects of divorce, and I'm not even going to say it's better or worse, but they now get to see two completely different philosophies, worldviews, approaches, whatever, playing out like side by side and, and that's with money, whatever discipline, what we think about this or that, instead of us having to get on the same page or present Uh like a united front, it's very clear. We're very different in our households about the way we do certain things. And the kids get to weigh that for themselves. Like they get to look at and say, Oh, I don't know what makes more sense to me or what do I, what do I agree with, with mom's approach and what do I disagree with? And I think that's an interesting perspective that they might not otherwise have gotten. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I feel like we could go another 20 minutes, but we're not going to, but let us know friends. If you like this conversation, um, I, I am, my wheels are turning about having another, um, quote unquote expert, uh, as a guest on this topic, um, to cover some of more of those things that we said we, we weren't going to speak to, like, should you pay for chores and sh- when right. should kids get an allowance? And some of those practical things I think, um, are still worth discussing, just not the way we wanted to frame this today. So, yeah. Well, before we wrap, just a reminder that you can get a holiday package deal with our sponsor, Shoot. You can find that deal at shoot.com, S-H-O-O-T-T.com. When you book a session at Shoot with the code the Mom Hour, you're going to get 15% off any order of five or more photos. Again, that's S-H-O-O-T-T.com. Use the code the Mom Hour and get 15% off. And then we are going to be back with you on Sunday. Excited for this More Than Mom episode. We're talking about tiny habits that can really just help you kind of get your mom mojo back this fall and like, I don't know, dive into all the back to school fall energy that we all feel, but what little habits we're trying in our own schedules and routines and lives that are helping us just feel productive and 
I guess, enjoy this fall season. So that's going to be a fun one. Come back on Sunday and we will talk to you then. Yeah, talk to you then. Sarah, I have been having just the best time making my new podcast, The Teas Made. I launched back in November and so far I've covered topics like staying warm on cold winter walks, nurturing creativity, how to be a great host, and even Nordic secrets to loving winter. Well, you know I am fan number one of The Teas Made. It's got such a cozy vibe, and it seems like you've really hit your stride in covering topics like wellness, self-care, comforting rituals and routines, and home and family life. Just look for The Teas Made with Megan Francis wherever you get your podcasts, or head to theteasmade.com to find all the episodes. The Mom Hour is brought to you by partners like Chatbooks. Chatbooks makes it beyond easy to create beautiful photo books by importing your digital photos from anywhere, Instagram, Facebook, Google Photos, or directly from your phone. The books come in a variety of sizes with beautiful cover options and binding styles to choose from, and they start at just $15. Plus, we have a great deal just for our listeners. Use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20% off your purchase. Just download the Chatbooks app and use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20%.